Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Oh. 
Oh, 
with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Good morning. This is your early morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Good morning to you and yours. It's now time for our morning prayer.
Sunday morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations.
I think of our community. Farmer poet Wendell Berry often comes to mind. Particularly this line. He says, the art of going, coming home before dark. And it's a community that, that values where they are and who is around them. And there's, as I said before, there's a deep sense of rootedness mm. there. I also want to say, however, that it's not a kind of inflexibility mm-hmm. that is sometimes associated uh, with rural communities. Um, I think, rather, because they're so rooted, they can actually be more open to change. You said that one of the books you've written, Take My Hand, is something of a love letter to the church you serve. I really like the format for the book. Tell us why and how you put that book together and, and what you hope to say. Uh, so each chapter includes a sermon that I did preach at the Dublin Presbyterian Church. And I also, my first year of ministry, kept the journal. And so I started noticing the connection between what I was preaching about and what I was with on a daily basis. And so what the book hopes to do show how the sermon and the conversation between biblical text and the light. So it was a great joy to write that book. I, I really do think that it's a love letter. Um, it, I think the other hope is that it will paint a picture of a, a rural congregation, a smaller church, in a very positive light, which is perhaps not a message that we always hear. You've also written a book on the parables of Jesus with something of a twist called Parables of Parenthood, Interpreting the Gospels with Family. Very personal and intimate and yet biblical look at the stories Jesus told. Why did you take this approach to understanding the story? One of my favorite ways to interpret a parable is to notice how the gospel writers interpret So, particularly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find a similar parable that's really used in a different way because of, I think, the community that they were talking to. And so perhaps they make little changes or perhaps they put it uh, in a context with other uh, examples of Jesus' teaching in order to highlight different bits. And so I started thinking about that and noticing the differences and then thinking about my own life, which was undergoing the great joy of having our firstborn child come into this world and all that I was learning from being a father and being a husband and living in a community of faith. And so different parts of the, the parable spoke to me in ways that perhaps didn't. otherwise. I think that's the true gem of Jesus' teaching is that it invites that aspect. So the hope of, of that book is that it will have a much broader application though not merely to this first time parent but that it will encourage other people to take that knowledge biblical interpretation and be able to readily apply that to their own life experience. Well your sermon today is based on the gospel text for this Sunday from Mark chapter 3 which you read it for and his mother and his mother standing outside they said brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And 
looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brother. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is kind of a sad account in some ways. You can kind of picture in your mind Jesus as family members standing there. Yet just a few verses earlier in verse 21, Mark reports that his family sought to restrain Jesus because they thought he'd gone mad. What do you make of this exchange? You know, Peter, in one of your books, Living Love, you have a beautiful reflection about Jesus from the cross in John and that exchange between his mother and the beloved disciple. And I think that you're absolutely right that the call here is for us to open up our circle of faith, um, to include people in our family of faith um, that are not just related to blood, but through belief. And so I, I think, I suspect that's what Mark is doing too, but it, it's harsher in his gospel. And that's what I, I really think up on harsher, because he seems to have you know, his whole life in him. And that made me think about what it's like to be a parent and, and to raise a child with that constant tension um, between, yes, you want them to grow up and become independent. No, not really. <laughs> I mean, there's a refrain that I hear often, oh, they grow up in fact. And that's a reflection, I think, that difficult that we have. So that's what I was drawn to in the text. And what does that mean, then, for a community of faith and similar dynamics? Andrew, we look forward to hearing your sermon. Go, church, go. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. It's been a great pleasure. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Andrew Taylor Troutman's sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. great cathedral known as Madison Square Garden, but before he could leave, he was compelled to wait, fidgeting in the threshold of his front door, impatiently shifting his weight from one foot to the other as his mother fiddled with his jacket collar in a way most unlike her. Stalling, holding on, his mother reviewed detail already covered, giving him last-minute advice already did. Can't believe you're 12, she said, in between checking and rechecking him for hat and mittens and an extra pair of eyeglasses. One minute ago, you were four and talking to the bird. Make us proud of your behavior. You need a new winter coat. Don't forget to call. Really? better stop fiddling about and get to the station. I will assume that you have a clean handkerchief. Go. She sighed. Go. Decades later, 
thought of the bird. Wishing them a cheery, hi birdie, tweet tweet, on our daily walk. On his own, he reaches up to grasp his mother's hand when journeying into new places. They ask for Bochan, or careening down the big slide at our church's playground. Someday, probably sooner than I'm ready, he'll be poised and head off on his own, making a pilgrimage to his dream. When my son comes to me, bright-eyed and hopeful, will I listen to the earnest desire of his great big God-given heart? I know there comes a point when every caregiver must say, go. My own son could make this inevitable separation less painful if he was polite and courteous, patiently standing, stock still, enduring my anxiety as I fiddle with his collar and humoring me as I remind him of things he's already heard and indeed already known. Might my son take steps on the way towards becoming a man with kindness and care for his old man? Surely that is the ideal. Which begs another question. How could Jesus talk like that to his mother? While Matthew and Luke include a similar theme, Mark alone pulls back the private curtain and allows him to live family dynamic, including the rationale of Mother Mary. Jesus has already begun his pilgrimage, sharing his great big God-given heart, and proclaiming the good news through preaching, teaching, and healing. But in verse 21, Mary, along with her other children, marches toward Jesus in order to restrain him merely attempting to solve the inevitable separation of child from parent. Restraint is the same verb used to describe those who lay hands on Jesus in order to arrest Why does his family want to shut down his ministry? At the beginning of this chapter, we learned how the religious and political leaders were already concocting plans to kill Jesus. He had become a wanted man, provoking the powerful authorities to dangerous retaliation. His family then was staging an intervention. They were trying to save his life. His mother stood outside the house and called Jesus, believing she was beckoning him to a place of love Jesus talked to his mother like that? Despite their understandable, even noble intentions, Jesus does not need his mother to save him. Jesus is a savior, savior of the world. He intervenes on his family's behalf, not the other way around. He intervenes on our behalf, too. Even if he's sharp jarring to our ears. Perhaps we could listen deeper. Here's something else. Every caregiver knows the goal is to allow children to grow up in order that they can become 
if every caregiver also is much easier to declare no Under the guise of good intentions, may well be opposition faith. Such fear confronts not only parents, but also churches, particularly those we might call mainline, probably those who listen to day one broadcast. Now, I do not wish to sound rude, like I was back-talking my mother church, but let's be honest. All across our country, there are towering steeples that loom over increasingly smaller congregations. And there are many churches, about the size of mine, which are precariously close to closing their doors for good. But, at the same time, there are young people today who are poised excitedly in the threshold, ready to head off into the world. Their hearts set on pursuing their God-given vocation. And like Jesus taught, the millennial generation values action. It's doing of the will of God. They do not want to be told. They want to experience. They want to go. But too often, the mainline church has been a part of curtly demanding that they come to us. We're your family, we cry. We know what's best for you. Perhaps we've even tried to restrain them, preventing them from acting in ways we believe are different, abnormal, even dangerous. We think we are intervening on their behalf, don't we? And if we listen more closely, we can hear the fear in our own voices. We are scared for the future. Our churches fail. You know what? Maybe that fear is justified. Perhaps the church will never be the same again. Maybe that former way of being church is coming to an end. How much more important then to lift our great big God-given heart and remember that resurrection comes only after death and that the life-giving Spirit of God cannot be restrained. Such faith, we might discover that in the word go, there's not only fear, but also freedom. Not just for young people, either. Shortly after I became pastor, I came to learn how a certain director of graduate admissions at a veterinary school, removed her horn-rimmed spectacles and dropped them unceremoniously on the application line before her, and then fixed the young woman nervously seated across from her large oak desk with a patronizing look. Perhaps, she began, you would best meet her by considering a different career path. Day, this young woman would be found wailing inconsolably in a puddle of heartbrokenness on a tile floor, her childhood bathroom. But in that moment, 
maintained her composure, though her nostrils flared involuntarily, a sharp exhale of anger. Not unlike certain large animals, she'd been around her whole life. She'd grown up on a farm with a true love of horses. She'd learned the difference between Appaloosa and Andalusian, when most children her age were distinguishing household she had memorized her A.B. Fidesdale. Her passion was not just a child's infatuation, but the deep and abiding focus that accompanies the truest calling. She'd always had that play with these animals, that touch, that whisper, that look. She'd always had that gift, which coaxed this quiet, appreciative smile those in the know. Growing up, she drew plenty of these reactions from men and women in her church. Some of the same people who pretended not to notice when she tracked mud from her riding boots into the sanctuary, or read a horse magazine behind her Bible throughout the Sunday school hour. And upon learning about the rejection from the veterinary school, these same folks did not try and protect her, glossing over the stinging truth. They did not attempt to hold her in another safer, more realistic vision for her life. Rather, the parental figures in her church reminded her of many other times they seemed to fall off only to get back up again. These are the very same people who now take great delight in retelling that day in the admissions office. Now that she has graduated at the top of her class from that very same veterinary school, and now that she's secured a postdoc surgical residency at an Ivy League university, they have loved sidle up to her and asked if she might best be served by considering Oh, how they love to do that. Yes, they love to tell this story. Because even when her path was unclear, they had the courage in themselves to hold faith in her. Even now, when the road leads out of town, they love to see her galloping ahead, moving unrestrained. Through this minute, 
history, America's most accomplished ministers have preached more than 3,600 sermons, reaching millions of listeners with the good news of God's love. We simply couldn't achieve this without the financial support that you and other loyal listeners provide. Broadcasting with such quality and impact every week for 70 years is an amazing accomplishment, and we're reaching more people than ever. But for this ministry to continue, we need your prayers and your financial support. Please, give generously so that Day One can continue to proclaim the good news on the radio and online in the years ahead. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's 27... about that dreaded time when every parent must say go to their child and yet sometimes we must say go to other things in our lives as well so regardless of what we're talking about how do we know when it's time to say go <laughs> that's that's the crux of it <laughs> I think in as much as we can try not to let voice of fear govern our because that's strong you know, I hear people sometimes advise others to follow your heart, trust your intuition. And that's good advice, but I often think that being scared for your ugly head and, and maybe your fear seem a lot like following your gut. Maybe there are times where you need to trust that. But on the other hand, God says to Isaiah, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you not perceive it? And there is this sense just because something is uncomfortable or different or perhaps even dangerous, it, it may very well be. Because the other thing I would say, Peter, is that it really helps when you have community to help you with that. And that's what I admire most about that little story that I told about my church. That, you know, maybe that young woman, um, you know, she probably had in the back of her mind that she how Jesus could speak to his mother like that, but help us realize that she and his siblings were probably saying no to Jesus out of a place of love and perhaps of fear. You said every caregiver knows it's much easier to say no than go. And we do that also with our churches, many of which try to maintain the status quo and the world around them is changing dramatically. How do you think we should foster conversations about this kind of change in our churches? You know, I think the great allure of the word no is that it offers the illusion of control. I mean, it's the 
very competitive down here. No, we're not going to do that. How then, in thinking about this dynamic, all that God has called us to be, how can we change that into more of an inviting question? And that's difficult. I, I don't think it takes place overnight. I think it takes place among communities that regularly practice listening to one another. And I want to say that it is a development in spiritual maturity. I'm reminded of Richard Rohr, who talks about the second half of life how he knows certain people who have what he calls a bright sadness. It's because they know things are changing and that often involves pain and grief. And yet they see the value in it. Maybe using language like that, inviting people to yeah, you know, it's okay to be sad. And yet, what else has happened? Andrew Taylor Troutman, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. It's been a great joy. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One.
This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. There's no other name like the name of
our attorneys advised this wonderful church that this was not a case of constitutional discrimination. The church had simply violated their written lease agreement. It has been a while since you've been to our website. You really ought to check it out. ChristianLaw.org is a virtual tool shed of legal tools, legal advice, pastors, and ministry. Answers to difficult questions. Links to helpful PDF files and much more. So check it all out at ChristianLaw.org. ChristianLaw.org.
I'm ahead of and I got the victory. Good morning to you and yours. Good morning, program. One is Grace Chill Talk Good morning. in a college band. Parade enthusiast Fred Diaz took a big step. Soon after 9-11, he said, this is my calling, this is my time. And he formed the Alamo City Community Marching Band. Unlike Fred's college days, this band was for adults. A 
adults with experience or not, it didn't matter. This marching band was for doctors and lawyers, heavy equipment operators and plumbers. It was for anyone who shared Fred's passion for the camaraderie, the teamwork of a band playing and marching in step. This is Howard Butt Jr. of Laity Lodge. Do you know your calling? Is this your time? What are you waiting for? What is your next big step in the high calling of our daily work? This message is for all Jenkins. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.